program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. Los Angeles Police calling all cars. Attention all cars. Broadcast 118. Be on the lookout for John Happel. Described as small, thin, age 58. Last seen in the vicinity of his home on Vernon Avenue. This man is warned for questioning regarding the murder of his wife. That's all. It is obvious that the police of the most important cities and counties in the West would not be specifying Rio Grande cracked gasoline exclusively for police cars and other emergency equipment, unless tests had conclusively proved that it was the fastest starting and most powerful gasoline that money could buy, as well as quickest on the getaway. You have all heard how Rio Grande's exclusive patented tracking process creates a gasoline that is recognized by petroleum experts as the very finest that can be produced. Now, listen to another refining advance perfected by Rio Grande. All cracked gasoline now goes through additional refining processes which extract all sluggish, slow-burning, lazy elements, leaving only concentrated energy. Now Rio Grande Cracked offers a finer gasoline than ever before, which means the finest gasoline money can buy, yet it costs you no more to enjoy this police car performance. pleasure to present Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department. Chief Davis. Good evening, friends. The story you will hear tonight is an unusual one. In this case, the investigating officers were not faced with the usual type of killer, but with the man who, from all outside appearances, would be the last person in the world to suspect of murder. However, in this case, appearances were deceiving, as was proved when link after link was forged in the chain of evidence against him, until the final day when he broke down and confessed. The killer led the officers on a long, hard chase, but it proved again that although the criminal may elude capture for sometimes a week, sometimes a year, in the end, he is bound to be caught. It is a clear, sunshiny day in December in a small bungalow court on Vernon Street in the southeast section of Los Angeles. Mrs. Rose Happel is busy hanging out the washing when her next-door neighbor, Mrs. Alfred Wyatt, stops by on her way to work for a morning chat. Good morning, Mrs. Happel. A beautiful day for so close to Christmas, isn't it? It certainly is, Mrs. Wyatt. Now, when I think of the cold and storms that we used to have back home at this time of the year, I'm mighty glad I'm living in California. Mm, that's the way my husband and I feel about it, too. But sometimes when it gets kind of cold in the early morning and I start to complain, Alfred would look at me kind of funny and say, How'd you like to be back in Chicago right now where it's seven below? <laughs> that always makes me realize how little I really have to complain about. Yes, I guess that's right. Mm, here comes your husband. Morning, Mr. Happel. 
Good morning, Mrs. Wyatt. Well, I must be on my way, Mrs. Happel. See you tomorrow. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mrs. Wyatt. Well, Dennis? Now, don't go starting until I'm nagging at me about work. I'm going out and look for a job as soon as I have some coffee. I, I wasn't going to mention that. I don't see where you get the idea that I'm always nagging you. There you are. I can't stand much more of it. Is there any coffee on the fire? I think they're sending the pot. You'll have to warm it up. All right. I'll be in just as soon as I finish hanging out these clothes. Yeah, a nice household when a man has to do his own cooking. Yeah, not enough coffee here. Rose! Rose! What do you want? Where do you keep the coffee? There isn't any left in the pot. Oh, well, well, wait a second, and I'll come in and make you some more. Yeah, you don't have to exert yourself. Just tell me where to find the coffee, and I'll make it myself. I don't mind making it for you, John. So you sit down over there and read the paper, and I'll have some fixed in a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you being nags about it. You must want something. John, what makes you so disagreeable? Are you feeling all right? Of course I'm feeling all right. Good as a can for you, when you nag at me all the time. Oh, you talk nice in front of people, but I know what you're thinking. I can see by the way you look at me that you think I'm a lazy good-for-nothing. Well, maybe I am. All right, John. Don't get yourself all worked up over it. Read the paper or something until I finish making the coffee. Never mind the coffee. I don't want it now. I'm going out and see if I can find some work. Anything to get away from you. You've got me worried, John. Sometimes I think you're not sane. I'm not sane? That's the last car. That's the only thing you haven't said before. Yeah, I might have known you'd think of it sooner or later. I am sane. You're the one that's crazy. You're crazy as a little John, John, for heaven's sake, calm down. Your heart won't stand it. My heart won't stand it. I won't stand it. I'm sick and tired of your talk, talk, talk all the time. I won't stand it any longer. I'll tell you that. I'll think of something, some way to make you keep quiet. John... Please don't go out in such a condition. You're liable to get into trouble. Trouble? You're the biggest trouble I have. I won't have you much longer. You wait. I won't have to listen to you much longer. Just you wait and see. John Happel spends the day looking for employment. Nursing his self-made rage, planning ways of thwarting his wife. And that night, he returns to the bungalow court, enters the house, walks into the bedroom where his wife is under. Is that you, John? Yes. It's me, Rose. You sound tired. Have any luck? I didn't get a job. That's what you mean by luck. Oh, well, maybe things will be better tomorrow. I look as though you could stand a good night's sleep. Rose, could you lend me a dollar? Tonight? Yeah, right now. Well, what in the world do you want a dollar for now? You're going to bed. I'm not going to bed. I only came home to ask you for a dollar. Well, well, I haven't any money in the house tonight, John. Won't tomorrow be time enough? Tomorrow? I'm afraid tomorrow will be too late. What's the matter with you, John? What are you thinking about? Nothing that matters. At least. Not to you. You're not going out again. I am. Uh, I'll be back in a minute. I just want to get something. Get something? Well, what? I'll 
come back. Walking quietly into the night, John Happel goes directly to a small storeroom in the backyard. Fumbles in the dark with some object hanging on the wall. Finds it, re-enters the house. As he opens the bedroom door, his wife's back is toward him. Slowly he raises his arm. The heavy iron bar held firmly in his right hand. Then, sensing his presence, his wife turns, sees him. Got any lead? Yeah, looks like an open and shut case against her husband. 
neighbors tell me he was an eccentric old bird who was always telling people how badly he was treated by her. Had a persecution complex or something. Hmm. Where is he now? Well, nobody knows. The fellow who called you saw him last. That was Saturday. You haven't been seen around here since. Have you got a description of him? Yeah, I was just going to phone it in when you were there. You better do that now and get it on the state teletype. If he did do it, he's probably out of town by now. I'll go around back and look things over while you call. Hello, Ed. What have we got? Plenty. Take a look. Hmm. Respected the body in order to get it into the trunk, huh? Just that. We've got the instrument that it was done with. The small hand saw he found hanging in the clothes closet. Speaker's going over it for print. What do you know about this Apple fellow? Well, he's got a son living here in Los Angeles. Thought you'd probably want to go over and see him. I'll send two of the boys over to bring him in. I'm going back to the office. As soon as you boys get all you want from here, send the body over to the morgue and check with me. Right. Returning to his office, Captain Bradley settles down to the task of piecing together the little he knows about Apple. Then, shortly after nine o'clock, Detective Colling and Johnston, accompanied by Apple's son, Fred, walk into his office. Hello, boys. This is Fred Happel, Captain. How do you do, Mr. Happel? Sit down over here. What's the trouble, Captain? When did you answer your stepmother, Happel? My stepmother? You mean Rose? Yes, that's her name. Why, I guess it was the day before Thanksgiving. She came over to tell me that she and Dad were going to move back to their farm in St. James, Missouri. Had a small gas stove at her house and told me that I could have it if I'd come over and get it. Did you? Well, as a matter of fact, I was too busy. Didn't get around to it till last Saturday. Did you see her then? No. Dad was there and he told me that she was out soliciting for the FERA. He helped me to load the stove in my car. Did your father seem nervous, upset? More than he has been for the past year. He's been in pretty bad shape, mentally and physically, for some time. Have you any idea where he is now? Why, no, not the slightest. Say, he's in some kind of trouble, isn't he? I'm afraid he is. We'll talk about that later. Now the main thing is, we want you to tell us everything you can remember about the relationship between your stepmother and your father. How'd they get along? Well, not so well. Dad was always telling us how she mistreated him. Said that she had enough money to support both of them, but... She wouldn't give him any. Mr. Happel, did you have any objections to our taking your fingerprints? Why, uh, nearly for comparison. Well, no. No, I wouldn't have any at all. Good. In the meantime, I want you to take a little trip with me. Shouldn't take more than 10 or 15 minutes. All right. Only I wish you'd tell me what this is all about. You'll know shortly. Come on down with me. I'll go into the morgue. He's going up back east to buy a farm. And he's a family with a $10 bill. 
is a comer from a road big enough to talk a cop. From the teller in the bank where Rose Happel kept a savings account. Why, yes. Mr. Happel came into the bank and presented a check for $491.30, signed by his wife. It closed out her savings account, but the signature looked genuine enough. I gave him the cash without a question. A close inspection of the check in comparison with others, signed by Rose Happel, establishes it as a forgery. In the little shack where the trunk was found, detectives discover the heavy iron bar used to murder the victim. Little by little, the facts forge a chain of evidence which points directly at John Happel. Without his whereabouts, no trace could be found. Then, on December 14th, two weeks after the murder, detectives staked out of the death bungalow, take a letter addressed to Happel from the postman, and turn it over to Captain Bradley. It is signed by a person named Meyer and mentions certain business dealings. The letter is postmarked St. James, Missouri. Acting upon this clue, a wire is sent to the chief of police in St. Louis, requesting him to be on the lookout for Happel and giving him a complete description. And in St. Louis, the patrolman Emil Hopkins, reading the name in the police bulletin, recalls the fact that he knows a William Happel, John's brother, who lives in Maxwell, just outside of St. Louis. Suspecting that the wanted John Happel would get in touch with his brother, patrolman Emil Hopkins drives to Maxwell and for two days mingles with the inhabitants. Keeps his ears open for any bit of news of Happel. On the third day, his patience rewarded while he is ordering in the general store. He overhears a couple of farmers state that their old friend, John Happel, has just taken the bus for Arnold. Hopkins intercepts the bus, arrests Happel, and takes him to headquarters in St. Louis. And there, surrounded by several members of the St. Louis Police Department, John Happel amazes his audience with his calm, dispassionate account of the brutal murder. Anyway, that morning we had a fight and... She ran me out of the house with the broom. Kept hitting me on the back with it. Told me to get out and not come back till I had a job. What did you do then? Oh, I went out and thought it over. Then that night I came home and as soon as I saw her, I decided I'd do what I'd said I'd do. So I got a piece of pipe. Where did you get the pipe? Out of the little shed in back where I kept a bunch of stuff. I used to sit out there and think in the daytime. It was the only place where I could get any peace. Anyway, I got the pipe, and when I walked in, she was sitting on the bed, taking off a stocking. So I just reached over and hit her on the head. Then what did you do? Well, I sat down and thought it over and decided I'd better put her somewhere. So I thought of the trunk I had in the house, and I dragged it in and put her in it. Didn't you feel badly about it? Killing Rose? No. She had it coming to her. If I had it to do over again, I wouldn't do any different. She had it coming to her. Continuing in detail, the little thin man makes a complete confession and seems to be actually glad that he's going back to Los Angeles to face trial. Puzzled over his apparent desire to return to the authorities, McCarthy tries to question Happel about it, but receives only the information that he's glad the suspense is over, and that he wants to get back to California where it's warm. So on December 22nd, Deputy George Stallman of the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office arrives in St. Louis, completes the legal procedure of extradition, and starts the trip back to Los Angeles with Happel in custody. Three days later, on Christmas, two women, Mrs. Minna Kramer, Mrs. Elise Reinhardt of St. Louis, 
drive out to the small farm near St. James, where their brother Henry Myers lives in lonely solitude. Each out of bed existence on the wind swept promenade. Arriving at the farm shortly before noon, the women sent a feeling of desertion about the ramshackle White House. when I blew it on the back road there. He usually comes out to meet me. Maybe he's not well. I never did see how I could live out here all alone and not get sick. Oh, we'd better go in and see what's the matter. I feel queer inside of me. There's something wrong here. That's funny. I feel the same way. <laughs> Because we know as well as you do that you killed Henry Myers. We've got letters written by him to your wife. 
talking about the farm. All right, be quiet for a minute, and I'll tell you. I can't stand people in agony, me. I'll tell you. That's more like it. Now, tell us about it. Well, Rose had tried to get him to move off the farm or pay some rent on it for a long time. And he wouldn't do it. Said the farm wasn't worth anything, and then he wouldn't get off it. So when I got back there, I thought I'd go and either get some money from him or drive him off. Did you rifle on that farm? Yeah. All right, go ahead. Well, I went out to the farm and told him who I was, and he began to tell me all about the trouble he'd had trying to make a living and all that, and I told him I didn't care. And all I wanted was some money or for him to clear out. So what happened? Well, he insisted that he couldn't pay anything and made me mad. I had stopped in a little town and bought a small rifle, and I had it wrapped up in a package. So I... We talked, he sat down on the... We talked, he sat down on the... We talked, he sat down on the bed, and I started to put the bed, and I started to put the gun together. What did he do then? Nothing. Oh, he got a little gun, and I said, yes. I was going to make him get off the property with it. Didn't he try to stop you from putting the gun together? No. He just smiled at me and made me even madder. So I finished assembling the rifle and put a cartridge in it. And when he started to look at me, I pulled the trigger and he fell over backwards. There wasn't any noise or fuss. He just fell down without saying anything. Tell me, Mr. Happel, just what did you think you were going to gain by shooting this man? Gain? Well, I suppose I figured on gaining anything. Only my wife had told him to get off, and now I was telling him to get off, and he wouldn't do it, and it made me mad. So I shot him. On February 11, 1935, John Happel goes to trial before Superior Court Judge Charles W. Frick, pleading not guilty by reason of insanity. But doctors Edwin Waite and Benjamin Blank, after carefully reviewing the case and examining the accused man's mind, declare... I know the man undoubtedly has a twisted sense of proportions and a strange persecution complex. It is the belief of my associate, Dr. Blank, and myself, that Mr. Heffel is not suffering from any form of insanity. Few days after this damaging piece of testimony, few days after this damaging piece of testimony, Deputy District Attorney Stallman closes his summary with the words: "There can be no doubt about it. This man, John Heffel, planned the murder of his wife carefully, knew exactly what he was going to do, and did it with willful intent to kill. He's a cunning, strange being, guilty beyond all doubt of first-degree murder." And on February 15th, 
unusual murder case, see the latest issue of the Calling All Cars News, which your neighborhood independent Rio Grande dealer will gladly give anyone absolutely free of charge. While you're in his station, we hope you will fill up your tank with Rio Grande cracked gasoline and see for yourself why it is specified for more police, fire, and emergency cars than any other brand. If you need oil, your Rio Grande dealer offers you the only 25-cent canned motor oil that's guaranteed to be free from wax and useless petroleum jelly. Sinclair Opaline Motor Oil. For only 25 cents per quart can. This oil is guaranteed to give perfect lubrication at the highest or lowest temperatures where other oils break down. It is a fact that you actually do get greatest value for your money from your Rio Grande dealer. Cracked gasoline and Sinclair motor oils have made Rio Grande the fastest growing oil company in the West because they are such outstandingly superior value.